Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached Word of God in agreement to the Scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, you may be seated. And what an honor to be in church. I have mentioned a subject um, several times over the past few months and I can't seem to get away from it. I, I don't know exactly how all of this works, but uh, to be very honest, I struggled a little bit yesterday afternoon and last night preparing for this morning service because I don't ever want to give the appearance of just being on a soapbox for for. For the sake of being on a soapbox, but I do want to follow the prompting of the Lord. If, if indeed, you know, God is prompting along a certain line or area, and so I'm not attempting to just belabor an issue, or I have not run out of things to preach about. Um, the Bible's full, very full, but I do feel a, a pressing in my spirit. And uh, and so today, some of the things that I may say may have a familiar ring or tone. And if they do, I just ask us today as a church, collectively and certainly as individuals, to, to receive it as the Spirit of God passing by one more time. One more time. And, uh, and uh, pray that His presence would touch our lives. My subject today... My title, at least, is Time or Eternity. Time or Eternity. And if the Lord will help, I, I will um, come back to this and um, maybe tie, hopefully tie all of this together. I've talked a lot about the spirit of distraction that seems to be so prevalent in the world and how difficult it seems to keep our focus on any one thing for any extended period of time. And uh, and I know I've mentioned that a lot lately, but that certainly is just something that I feel, I can say for sure, it is something that I feel uh, that I need God to help me with. I need him to help me because there are so many things that are bidding for our attention in this day and, and among those myriad things that are bidding for our attention is God. God is bidding for our attention and yet there are so many other things that attempt us to get off track and, and out of focus. And I could, I think, go as far to say that many times that even happens on a daily basis. Um, just a couple of weeks ago, I was invited, my wife and I were invited to uh, speak down uh, in the southern part of the state on a Friday night, and, and we were with some friends uh, while we were there, the pastor of the church and his father and mother, and uh, 
the pastor of the church, they have uh, three children. They have two twin boys who are now eight years old. Um, but for quite some time, the, their twin boys have been involved in junior Bible quizzing, and they are two sharp, sharp young men. And so one evening, as they were in their home, the father was helping them study, and, and um, the sister in an adjacent room playing a game, doing her own thing. And after many attempts to get one of the boys to quote the scripture right, uh, just kept failing and failing and failing, the little three-year-old sister came through the door, quoted the scripture verbatim, and then looked at her brother and said, Focus, Luke. Focus. (laughs) And with that, she turned and walked out of the room. I know we find it hard to imagine that a little girl would do something like that. (laughs) She was three years old at the time. So those young boys have their hands full, I promise you that. We've all been there where we just needed something or someone to just step into our lives and snap us back into focus. I can never think about this subject very long without thinking about the passage of uh, Psalm 73 written by a man named Asaph. Asaph was not only a Levite, but he was also one of the leaders of David's choir. The, the book of Psalms, many times we, we attribute all of them to David, but that's not accurate. Uh, there are many other contributors to the book of Psalms. The 50th Psalm was written by Asaph, as well as the 73rd through the 83rd Psalm was written by a man named Asaph. And uh, for just a short period of time, Asaph was very, very human in his writings and in his expressions of where he was in his life. And uh, as we begin to read the 73rd Psalm, it's very apparent that Asaph was losing focus. And uh, he began to see the prosperity of the wicked, and he thought, you know, what in the world's going on? I mean, we've all found ourselves in the first few verses of Psalm 73, whether we admit it or not. I mean, I'm doing everything right, and it just seems like I can't get the ends to connect, and here's some guy down the way. He's not even half worried about it, and it just seems like heaven's opened up over their home or their life and their business and on and on and on. And so Asaph said, my feet almost slipped when I saw the prosperity of the wicked, when I saw that they're making no attempt to do anything right, and yet it just seems like everything they touch is is working out all right. But then if you keep reading, the scripture says that Asaph went to the house of the Lord. He said, until I went into the sanctuary of the Lord. And when I went into the sanctuary of the Lord and I began to pray and God began to reveal to me their end, he said, all all of a sudden I began to realize, wait, life is just a blip on the map. It's a, it's a very short journey. Certainly if we compare it to eternity, if we compare it to eternity, it's just a brief moment on this place we call earth. James said that life is a vapor, that it just vanishes away. And certainly we understand the validity of that statement. And I promise you, the older that we get, we, we understand how much weight that really does carry that it's just a vapor it's just here and then it's gone and uh, he went to the house of the Lord and it was there that God gave him some much needed uh, energy to get refocused and and uh, Asaph just like we uh, lose focus when we start looking at the wrong thing 
looking at the wrong thing and investing in the wrong thing. You see, we live in a world where we are bombarded by either someone or something to get our attention almost every waking hour. There's so many, and I'm not here to get all goofy and spooky, but there's so many subliminal things that are done uh, to us on a daily basis <laughs> to, uh, you know, to, to help us. There, there's a reason music is playing in the grocery store. They want you to calm down, relax, walk slow, and feel that buggy up. There, there is a reason they're not playing something fast and anxious. They, they don't want you to hurry through. They want you to take your time and uh, get all that you can. And so they're, uh, I'm not saying that's sinister, but there, there's always something that is trying to manipulate us, manipulate us. So we're, something is reaching for our attention. I, I want us to consider a new passage, a New Testament passage this morning found in the book of Luke chapter 12. It's here we find uh, one of many parables that were written by Jesus, and I'm not going to read it all for the sake of uh, time, but I, I believe most people understand the context of Luke 12, and if you have your Bibles open there, you can uh, mark that and read the rest of this at a later time. But Luke 12, in verse 13, the Bible says, And one of the company said unto him, Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus looks to him and replies. He said, he said unto him, man, who, who made me a judge or a divider over you? And he answered unto them, take heed and beware. Now he just starts speaking collectively as though this man never even asked a question. He said, take heed and beware for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of things which he possesseth. And so he goes on to say more about this and certainly address more in this 12th chapter of Luke. And, and we'll maybe talk about that in a moment. But while teaching the multitudes, if we can come back to this and kind of get a scene in our minds, while teaching the multitudes, Jesus is frankly just interrupted by someone in the crowd. Somebody just stands and ask a question just completely off subject, completely off the beaten path of where they are, and it seems very untimely. The Bible says he spoke to him and said, Master, speak to my brother that he may divide the inheritance with me. In, in, the, in the day of Jesus that we're looking at, the custom of that day is that the oldest son would receive two-thirds of the inheritance, and then the younger children or sons would receive then the remaining balance. And so obviously, Somewhere in the dividing of the inheritance, the older son had kept more than his fair share. And so, but if you look at this scripture and you continue to read and you look at it in order, Jesus never even addressed that issue whatsoever. He just kind of dealt, stepped right over that, so to speak. He didn't allow the interruption of this man to take him off of his main agenda for that moment. And uh, if we're not careful, uh, without focus, the interruptions that we have in our lives will keep us constantly off balance. And uh, the, the scripture talks about a double-minded man being unstable in all of his ways. And when there is this kind of instability in our lives, we are never going to be able to accomplish what God has really called us to do. Now, that would be... It would be ideal if we could just somehow shut off all the interruptions of life. That, that would be ideal, but it's not very practical. As a matter of fact, that will probably never happen. I mentioned uh, 
being away a couple of weeks ago, it was while we were there one day, um, I, it was quiet, my wife was resting, and, and I just spent the entire day reading and studying. It was no interruptions, no, nothing happened to interrupt the flow of that. And, and um, so I told my wife, I said, you know, this, this is wonderful. I mean, this is just wonderful. You can, you can just start reading and just keep reading. There's nothing there to distract you. I wasn't at home. I wasn't here at the church. If you're here or at home many times when you're doing something, you start thinking about something else you ought to be doing. And, and uh, so I thought, you know, that would be just wonderful to be holed up in a motel room. But it's not real practical. Not really realistic at all. So we have to be diligent about the interruptions of life. And uh, I, I say that emphatically because we're never going to succeed in lear- unless we learn how to better handle these interruptions. And you, you've, you've been, uh, every one of us have had our day planned. We've had, we knew that night before we knew what we were going to do the next morning. And, um, and then one small thing after another interrupts your day. And before you know it, the sun is setting and the list still remains, right? We've all been there. And, uh, but I, I don't want to just talk about daily interruptions or small things like a visit or a phone call or on and on and on and on. It's not just day-to-day things that interrupt our lives. Sometimes uh, it's not our day that gets interrupted. Sometimes it's our lives that get interrupted. And that's really where I'm going. We can do very little about those little trivial things. And there, but there are sometimes that we have, have, have faced mountains that have affected not only our todays, but they affect our tomorrows. Maybe a lost job or a lost relationship or lost health or lost dreams and the list could go on and on. All of these things are major interruptions. And you have to learn how to deal with those things. To, I believe the word of God can help us to, to find an appropriate path when things come our way. But you've got to learn how to deal and adjust yourself for certain situations. I, I know this isn't popular today and I can appreciate the fact you're not running all over the building. But there's some things you gotta build a room on your house for. That's not a statement that, that eats of, of lack of faith, but there are just some things that show up that aren't going to leave. Or they may not leave for a while. And so we can either find ourselves in a constant state of Collapse, or we can just say, I've got to figure out how to get my hands around this for a little while until things can change, until another season of life comes, uh, until another season of life comes along. And so uh, maybe, for instance, I'm, I'm, I'm reaching for an illustration here, maybe to settle somebody, but, but maybe a, a, a couple has a, a child that has a very strong will and a very strong temperament. Well, you can't return them. What do you do? And so you, you have to realize that this is not going to be something that we over in a day or in a week or a month or a year. And it's very possible that they may grow out of some of those things. I've seen that happen many, many times. Grow out of some of those things. But what are you going to do in the meantime? You can't just lock them in a room. You can't lock yourself in a room. You can't move into another portion of the property. <laughs> and so we gotta say, Lord, help me to figure out how I can deal with this 
because I still want to be a, a, the husband I need to be, the father I need to be. I still want to be the neighbor I need to be. I still want to be the man or woman of God that I need to be. And so what we're talking about, I mentioned time and eternity and just, just keep that up there because it'll, uh, we're going there. If we're not careful when things come in our lives that we didn't ask for, we didn't plan, if we're not careful, a spirit of resentment can move in. And we can start resenting that I am having to walk down this path and you look across the aisle and somebody else doesn't seemingly be walking down, seem to be walking down that same path. But that's a very dangerous thing to give into. Because once you resent, start resenting something, that's a sore that just keeps festering and festering and festering and festering. That's not the deal, the, the way to deal with that. There's some things we gotta figure out how to embrace this. I got to figure out how to build a room for this in my life. You know, life was never designed to go smoothly. The scripture said, man is a few days and full of trouble, and that's the absolute truth. A child is born, and it just, as a matter of fact, it doesn't take days. A child is born in just a few minutes or hours, he's in trouble. Somebody's got to change them. Somebody's got to feed them. Someone has to, to, uh, to take care of them medically and things of that nature. And so, and so life is about some of the struggles and the things that we have to deal with. There, there's always been, hear me, there have always been giants to fight and mountains to climb, always. It has nothing to do with us. It has nothing to do with some dark cloud hanging over our life. It has nothing to do with some generational curse. <laughs> life has always been about Fighting giants and climbing mountains. I once read a quote that said, if you're not prepared for the struggle, then you're probably not prepared for life. Because life is, is a struggle. And I'm not here to paint your world gray this morning, I promise you that. Certainly not to say that it's always this way, but in these seasons of times, I wanna be prepared for that. I wanna know what I've got to do. There has never been a sunrise that was not preceded by uh, the, the darkness of night. There has never been a victory without some sort of struggle. There, has, there, there would be no need to purchase something if there wasn't first a price that was attached to it. And so uh, on and on and on, we have to realize that anything that we have, there was, there was something that was connected to that. And so we've got to break through that mindset that seemed oh so prevalent in the days of, of Job, as far back as that, one of the oldest books in the Bible, that mindset that says that if I am having some success, I must be in the will of God, and if I'm having some problems, I must be out of the will of God. I mean, you know, people were really wondering, Job, what'd you do wrong? I mean, what, what's wrong, Job? Have you evaluated your life? Have you looked over, and Job had nothing to do with not one of the funerals that happened in his family. He had nothing to do with one calamity that happened in his family. Everything that happened to Job was an end result of a conversation that he wasn't even invited to be a part of. He's minding his own business and everything starts collapsing around him. And so we can't, we can't just think, well, because uh, you know, I'm doing well, I'm in the will of God. But by the same token, we can't think because I'm struggling that I must be out of the will of God or, or curse of some sort. The Bible says it rains on the just and the unjust. And so if you think about it, trouble is often the gateway to discovering something about the Lord that we before never knew. Trouble. You may be seated.
I know it's an unpopular thing to say, but it's the truth, problem, something that we did not expect that just shows up on our doorstep. And we worked our way through that. I'm talking to some people that's been through some stuff. I'm looking at some people that's got mud in your cleats today. <laughs> You've been through some stuff, but in that going through, you discovered something about God that you never knew existed. You heard it talked about. You heard people sing about it. You heard people preach and teach about it, but it wasn't yours. It didn't belong to you, but you've got some things in your possession today because you stepped through a gateway called trouble or problems, and, and on the other side of that, you realize that God really will see us through. I was. We were at the funeral yesterday for Sister John's, and those of you who... Um, we're familiar with this story at all. Sister Johns had terminal cancer, and and uh, and she she was given no hope at all to live. And uh, this was several months ago, and the Lord just divinely intervened, and God healed her of cancer by uh, the mouth and the witness of an unbelieving physician. And I'm not here to trash him today, but documented an unbelieving an unbelieving physician but he stood in the presence of friends and their family and said she is cancer free and so uh, how would you have that testimony if it hadn't have been for the test and so how do you know we never know that God is a healer until you have been through a season of sickness and you realize that God can touch us and he can touch us instantly. There have been men and women in this building instantly healed. I am one of them. And then I've had God begin a healing process in me at that very moment of prayer. I began to feel the change and the fever cooled and, and, and on and on and on, but you would have never known that had it not been for first stepping through that season of sorrow. Brother, uh, Brother J.H. Osborne has such a unique way of of putting things, but he said, you know, the Lord, the, the Lord will uh, take you to the kitchen of sorrow sometimes and make you lick every pot. <laughs> never quite heard it put that way, but even though I had never heard that before I heard it the first time, I can still say, amen. <laughs> never heard it, heard it quite put in those words, but I do understand what you're talking about. You never know that God is a faithful provider until you have gone through a time of need and God just came through. God just made a way, not where there seemed to be no way, but God made a way where there was no way. And what does that do? That puts something in us. I, I don't mean that we would never be frightful again or we would never be fearful again or that we would never worry again. But I'm gonna tell you, when God has come through at that 11 o'clock hour just in time, there is something that gets down in our crawl and we realize, you know what, I may be a little anxious, but I'm not as anxious as I was last time because I know God can and I know that he will. You'll never know him as a friend that sticks closer than a brother. That's what the scripture says. Until you have been lonely and rejected. And you realize it seems like everybody walked away from me, but he didn't. And when you felt like you didn't have a phone number to dial, but you called on his name and you felt his presence, you realize, you know what? He really is a friend. 
He really does love. I'm really not lost to him. And so if you're going through trouble, it's a sign probably that you're human. It's a sign you're still living. It's a sign that your name was not in this morning's obituary. Sometimes when people are faced with interruptions in their lives or things that come in their lives, they start trying to figure out who to blame. Because we live in a, in a society today that nobody wants to accept <laughs> their own responsibility for something. I mean, when you, we're living in an hour where maybe this doesn't happen every day, but hear me, it's not uncommon. We've read such accounts of somebody breaking into someone else's home and then cutting their hand or their leg as they uh, entered or exited the house and then suing the homeowner. Yep. Because nobody wants to take the blame. Nobody wants to say, you know what, I may own some of this. I may own some of this. And so sometimes people just look for a nail to hang all of their problems on instead of looking in the mirror, amen, and saying, you know what, I, I may be responsible for this. Not all the time, but I'm, I may be responsible. I may have some ownership of this. Maybe not always, but here's what we can't forget, and please hear me, that the decisions that we made yesterday affect our todays. And so sometimes when we flip the calendar a few times, we forget about decisions we made yesterday and we're wondering, what in the world are all these weeds doing in my life? And I'm not here to guilt trip anybody, but we, we may be standing in, in a whole nest of weeds today because of some decisions that we made yesterday. But by the same token, decisions that we're making today can and will affect our tomorrow. So I gotta be careful. I can't just be so random about all of this. Charles Swindoll says this. He said, blame never affirms, it assaults. Blame never restores, it wounds. It never solves, it complicates. It never unites, it separates. It never, it never smiles, it frowns. It never forgives, it rejects. It never forgets, it remembers. It never builds, it destroys. That's what blame will get you. All of us have had something or someone to hurt us in the past, but you know what? You just have to get over. You have to get beyond. You just have to say, you know, I'm not going to let their decisions, and I'm not going to what? I'm not going to let. I'm not going to let their actions. I'm not going to let that tether me at all. I told someone recently uh, who had who had had their day not necessarily ruined, but an attempt to ruin their day, and I had heard about that, and so I. I sent them a text and I said this, and this is, uh, this is some of the pastoral counsel that I give out just for free during the week. I said, please do not let anybody that you know that is dumber than you set the course for the rest of your day. When you know you just met somebody dumber than you, don't let them set the course of your day. That's how I'll counsel when I'm not in the pulpit. <laughs> and so there are times we just say you know what I'm going to consider the source and I am moving on as for me and my house I'm pulling up the tent stakes I'm rolling up the ropes I'm folding up the tarps and we're moving to some higher ground because you see there's something there's something in the balance here and that, that something that's in the balance is time or eternity. 
And we've got to make sure that our focus is on the right thing because the enemy is trying to get us to focus on time and distract us and interrupt us so that we can just focus on the here and now and get our mind off of eternity. But eternity is coming and it's coming for each and every one of us. Amen. He's a God of a fresh start. I'm thankful for that. Amen. He's a God that he has the ability. You know what? He's God enough to put dreams back together. He can take brokenness, shatteredness, and he can put dreams back together. He can do it. He can. And so we're a child of God, and we're born to walk in victory, and we've got to understand that. I'm going to put that in the hands of the Lord. I suppose the very thing I've been driving at this morning is this. The real way to handle interruptions in life is to, is to just do what Jesus did. He used them for his advantage. You see, at the end of the day, we've all been given an opportunity to choose. Here was a man, to go back to our text real quickly, here was a man that, that interrupted him teaching the masses to say, I want you to solve this issue that I've got. My oldest brother has not treated me right. I want you to go speak to him about the inheritance that belongs to me. And, and Jesus didn't even address what he was talking about necessarily, but he spoke directly to what the heart of the matter. And the heart of the matter was the fact that this man was coveting what his brother had. <laughs> Whoops. I didn't mean to open that can of worms. Uh-oh. I, I, I didn't just bring this to an ordinary man. I brought this to Jesus. And Jesus said, what's wrong with you is you got a spirit of covetousness. And he starts dealing with that. And so every disappointment that, that we face in life, every disappointment that we face in life, if we, are, if we are careful to seek it out, there's a door of opportunity. There's a door there that I can use that to my advantage. And so if you don't believe me, then I just want to read a few instances from, uh, from the New Testament, the book of Acts. For one, in Acts 8 and 1, the Bible says, Saul was consenting unto his death. Now realize this. He was consenting unto his death. And at that time, there was great persecution against the church which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. And here is... Here is a very dismal, dim, dark time in the church. I mean, the church is brand new. But here is a dismal time. In the midst of this certain crisis, God was at work. Saul was consenting to his death. There was great persecution in the church. A lot of things were going wrong. A lot of things were going wrong. But God was at work in the midst of everything that seemed to be going wrong. Because when you drop down to verse number four, the Bible says, therefore, because of what was going on before, therefore they were scattered abroad. Amen. They that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. Amen. It was like the Lord just slapped the church and scattered them out. And instead of them taking their Bibles and hiding it, instead of them digging a hole and crawling into it, amen, what, when, the, when they begin to disperse, the church began to grow. And it all happened on the heels of distress. It all happened on the heels of uncertainty. It all happened on the heels of persecution. Yes, it did. Yes, it did. The cripple were healed. Oppressed were set free. People that had never heard the message now were hearing the message. And it all happened because of persecution. Acts 8 and 8 goes on to say, and there was great joy in that city. 
I mean, just a moment ago, we're talking about prison and persecution and we're talking about scattering and we're talking about seeming division. But the, but the gospel was being moved and pressed into, another, into other regions and there was great joy. In Acts 10, Simon Peter was getting ready to eat lunch. I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but I'm telling you the truth. He was getting ready to eat lunch when all of a sudden he had gone to the rooftop. I mean, they were preparing. He was waiting while the Bible says they were preparing the food. I don't know about you, but I just kind of envision, uh, I just kind of envision Simon Peter sitting there. He's already got his napkin tucked in his collar. <laughs> I must have been the only one that had that vision. He, he's got his fork in one hand, a spoon in another hand, and all of a sudden, the Bible calls it a trance, but the Lord gives him a vision. The Lord gives him a vision, and, and that vision would soon become a reality. God was going to use him to take the gospel to the Gentile world for the very first time. And what if Simon would have said, but wait a minute, what about my meal? Wait a minute, I come here to eat. I didn't come here to do this. And the next news you know, we knew, we read nothing about his meal or how all of that ended up, but God sent him to take the gospel to the Gentile world in Acts chapter 10. His life was interrupted. In Acts 16, Paul and Silas were on their way. They're on a missionary journey. They're taking the gospel. They're circuit preachers. They're evangelists, if you want to call it that. And they were interrupted, I would think, it would be called an interruption because they were thrown into a Philippian jail. And so instead of being on the phone to the bondsman, instead of trying to find an uncle to bail them out, they started praying and singing praises unto the Lord because we're dealing with either time or eternity. Time or eternity. And so God used them in this unorthodox setting to convert not only the jailer but his entire household and it all happened because people realized I got to stay focused here I got to stay focused I can either I can focus on the stocks and the bonds that I'm in I can focus on the bars that are holding me or I can realize God may have sent me here to have an opportunity to preach the gospel to do something that would change a life amen going back to our text from Luke's gospel this is what we find Jesus used this interruption to really focus on the true need of this gentleman. Jesus immediately saw that his problem was the spirit of, spirit of covetousness, or we would call it greed in our day. The 10th commandment deals with this directly. Exodus 20 and 7, I'll just read it for you. You shall not covet your neighbor's house, not covet your neighbor's wife, his manservant or maidservant, his ox or donk or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Don't covet. The tenth commandment is different from all the other commandments because the tenth commandment deals with the root cause of sin. That desiring something that's not mine. The other nine commandments deal with actions, but this one talks about attitudes, our spirit about things. And, and covetousness is, is not about what you have, but it's about what you crave. It's about what you long to have. Covetousness will destroy your focus every time because just about the time you're about to enjoy what you have, you look and see what somebody else has. And the paint will not be dry on your new house before someone builds one bigger, fancier, and nicer, and on and on and on. And so when you start focusing on those things, then it distorts us every time. The rich man in the story of, of Luke here in the parable had his focus blurred. His priorities were all out of 
out of sorts. He knew how to make a living, but he didn't know how to make a life. He thought all of his deepest needs could just be satisfied with material things. If I could just get enough stuff, surround myself with enough stuff, then surely that will be all I need. Now, I want to pause here long enough to make one thing clear. When you, you know, sometimes when you're talking about the rich man or this, some people can just only look at that in monetarily, monetary senses. And, and I understand that's what the scripture is talking about. But I think the Lord is using a parable. And in that parable, there are principles that are applied to much more than just finances. I'm not talking about finances because I, I don't think it's wrong to have things. Uh, amen. The word of God teaches us that he would, that we would prosper and be in good health and our soul prosperous. And, and I'm not a proponent of the prosperity gospel. I don't mean to, to say that at all. Uh, that, that I think is taken way out of context. But I also read where the Bible talks about the Lord grant us the desires of our heart. He doesn't just give us the things we need. How many, how many people here have things that you don't need? Sure. Sure, we've got things we don't need. We've got things we just want. And God was kind enough to allow us to have just some things that we want. And it's far beyond what I need. Amen, far beyond what I need. I had to decide what suit I was going to wear. You had to decide what you were going to wear. We had, amen, you had to decide what you were going to drive in some cases to church. You had to decide... You had to decide what you were going to do about a lot of things because God has been so good to us. He's been so good to us. And I believe that God will grant us the desires of our heart. And so with that clearly underlined, please, I want you to consider what this man lost. We must note that Jesus clearly said this in this story of Luke. He said, the good ground of a certain rich man produced good, a good crop. That's what the Lord said. The good ground produced a good crop. Jesus was careful to tell us that it was good ground that produced a good crop and it just seems like only common sense. I haven't been, I haven't been nominated for the farmer of the year in quite some time now, but I would think this, that good ground would be prone to giving you a good crop. The message is clear. We can't lose the focus of our source. A bad land or bad ground is going to probably produce a bad crop. And so what Jesus was doing was not focuses on the crop but on the source. And so the message is clear. Philippians 4 and 13, Paul says, I can do all things. If we just stop there, that's a pretty egotistical statement. But if we keep reading, it's a statement of humility. He said, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Amen. There's no statement in Scripture that speaks more clearly about the indwelling power of God. He said, I can do anything through Christ that strengthens me. Secondly, this young man lost the focus for the purpose of what God had blessed him with. He failed to understand what he was supposed to do with it. He said, well, I think what I'll do is I'll just build bigger barns. I'll just get more and more and more and more and more and more and more. And so he failed to understand what he was supposed to do with the gift that God had given him. He thought, I'm supposed to store this up. I'm supposed to keep this for myself. And if we're not careful, we can take this same attitude. But again, I want to underline the fact and help us understand that I'm not just talking about material possessions. And I don't think the Lord in this parable, in principle, was talking about material possessions. But we could talk about the wealth of a lot of things, the wealth of talent, the wealth of abilities that God has blessed us with. 
and we just sit and watch others struggle. I've shared this story through the years before, but one time my wife and I, you've heard the story of her initial beginning uh, to learn how to play the piano player. We were in a home missions church and the piano player left and our pastor looked at my wife and said, you are the piano player. <laughs> and there was nothing spiritual. There was no the clouds didn't come down, the sky didn't get dark, and she didn't just walk out on the other side a female version of Liberace. And she struggled. She just struggled to play and struggled to learn. And and we were in a service one night, and and uh, it was a it was a like a fellowship sort of rally service, and and the building was full, and 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 uh, nobody there to play the piano, and my. Our pastor said, come on, said, you get up here. And she was just frightened out of her wits and, and she barely could even play the piano. And, and we struggled through that entire service. And then they turned the service over to the guest speaker and the guest speaker walked from his seat over to the piano and sat down and just tore that thing up. And we're sitting, you're going, really? <laughs> really? <laughs> you let all of us struggle through this? You know, I mean, she almost had a case of the shingles by the time it was, <laughs> by the time it was all over with. And you, you sit there on all this talent and all this ability and, and, and you let everybody struggle just so you could be showcased here? Really? Really? <laughs> For some reason, we've remembered that through the years. <laughs> That's, <laughs> that stuck with us through the years. And it stuck with us. But I'll tell you what, it, it makes you do. It makes you take the talent you've got. We've been in churches where, where we weren't speaking and we weren't singing and we weren't playing, but somebody needed something done and we, we're not much, but we'll help. We'll do what we can. Amen. I'm not trying to make this an about me moment, but I'm telling you that, that God has blessed us with things. And if God has blessed us, don't just keep those things to yourself until it's a moment for you to be showcased. But we need to give that to God. You know, some people have developed an attitude, I'm just going to sit back in church and take it easy and let everybody else do the work. The only thing some people worried about today was getting here on time. <laughs> I'm so tempted to say something mean right there, but I'm not. That's a very sad mindset to possess because in all honesty, I'm just going to speak pastorally here for just a moment, but we have ministries in our church that are almost bogged down because no one will fill the position. I don't want to be bothered with that. I don't want to do that. I, I got other things to do. I want to do this or I want to do that. Well, I get it, but some of the people that we got working would probably like to do something else too. We've got, we have had to limit some of our outreach ministries because we just have no one, frankly, to assist in different venues. And, and uh, I'm not bemoaning that, but I'm telling you that that's a, sad, that's a sad report. It ought not be that way. We need to realize that this is not just about time. This is about eternity here. Amen. And so I speak today in, uh, in closing. If our musicians will um, ease this way, they will be in a minute anyway. So... Finally, this rich man lost his focus on something that I think millions of people in America have lost. They, they, they've lost their focus on eternity. It's here and now. What can I get for here and now? I've had the fortunate or unfortunate, ever how you want to categorize it, opportunity to sit at the bedside 
of a lot of people that were getting ready to leave this world. And I'm not being a smart aleck, please understand me. But no one has ever told me I wish I could have worked a little more overtime. I wish I had a little bit more of this or a little bit more of that. Because you see, at that juncture, the things that you're pressed about right now won't even be on your mind. I've never been in a hospice house where someone asks me, what's the price of gas today? See, it don't matter today. It doesn't matter today. What's the cost of a new car going to... It, that doesn't matter today. Because the only thing that's on the table now is not time, but eternity. This man's focus was really on time. I'll just tear down my barns and I'll build bigger. I'll just do more. It'll just be me, 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 me. And so he said to himself, this is what he said. You have plenty of good things laid up for many years. He said, just, just take it easy. Just eat, drink, and be merry. That was what he thought. But Jesus said, thou fool. Now, it would be one thing if I called you a fool. That would probably just offend you. It would be one thing if your best friend called you a fool. That might offend you a little bit, but because of your friendship, you might take that on the chin. But when Jesus calls us a fool, he's not just calling names. He's not being a schoolboy on a schoolyard. He said, thou fool, this very night your life will be required of you. So that barn you're thinking about building, I doubt it. Those crops you're I doubt it. All of this me, me, me stuff, I doubt it. You see, there is a difference between time and eternity. We can make one bad judgment in life that can cripple us for life. You can make one bad investment in your life and be broke for life. You can have some brief exposure to a deadly disease and you can remain sick physically the rest of your life. But you make one bad mistake with your soul and you'll be lost for eternity. And there's a big difference between time and eternity. The world called this man wise. There were probably fathers that that sat down with their son when this man passed by and said, Johnny, you need to pattern your life after him. The world called him wise, but Jesus said, you are a fool. You are a fool. For this man, the voice of God shattered his night and time had ended and judgment had come. And the Bible makes it clear that it is appointed unto man once to die. And I'm not trying to start anything doctrinal argument here. I just want to give you something to think about. The Bible says it appointed a man, a man once to die and after that the judgment. And so I would say to you that in the truest sense of the word judgment takes place the immediate moment death wins. I'm not talking about the white throne judgment. I'm not talking about revelation. But you see it's sealed right there. Right there. Whatever happens right there, because it's heaven or it's hell. There's no holding pattern. There's no waiting room. And I'm sorry, there's no purgatory. Your last breath here will be your first breath 
there. Judgment is passed. I want you to think about that. It's sealed. The envelope is sealed right there. You can't change it now. It's time or eternity. It's time or eternity. And so I've got to understand the difference between time and eternity. Some of the things that frustrate, some of the things that interrupt, some of the things that, that really are an angst in my life, that's just about time. What I've got to really worry about is eternity. I've got to worry about eternity because above all else, I must be saved. Let's stand. I've got to do everything within my power to stay focused. I've got to deal with the distractions that come my way. I have read the life of the Apostle Paul. I have read his epistles so many, many times through the years. And if there's any one thing that I take away every time from studying the life of Paul, it is this. He was the most single-minded man I've ever read about. He was so, he was so you're talking about kingdom-minded. That's a phrase we toss, we toss around pretty loosely today. But you're talking about kingdom-minded, Brother Pope. He's in prison. He's beaten. His eyes are swollen shut, and he's asking for a pen and a piece of paper. I need to get a letter out. <laughs> really? Really? Amen. Time, because he understood the difference between time. In eternity. I wonder if we'd slip our hands up today. You see, there's a drawing in this very room today. There's a drawing in this very room today. And I'm telling you this morning that if you're here without the Holy Ghost, you don't have to leave here without the Holy Ghost. There's a difference between time and eternity. So what that clock on the wall or that watch on your wrist or that calendar that hangs on the wall or your, your computer, it, it's just keeping up with time. It's just keeping up with time. But the greater issue here is eternity, eternity. Amen, I feel a spirit of prayer. Hallelujah. I feel a spirit of prayer moving into this house today. God, I love you today. I love you today. I love you today. I feel a spirit of conviction in the hearts of men and women. Amen. And saint and sinner alike. I feel the spirit of conviction. The spirit of conviction we've got as a church to realize that I may have the Holy Ghost, but I may have allowed the enemy to keep me solely distracted. And maybe I'm not where I need to be with the Lord today. Amen. I feel the presence of the Lord in this place. I'm not willing to step through this. I'm not... I'm not willing to change the order of the service just because that's what the paper says. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, there's men and women with the Holy Ghost here this morning that, that are feeling a drawing of God and you had better do something about the path you're walking on. You had better do something about the path you're walking on because you see, while you're worried about time, eternity is getting closer and closer and closer and closer and closer. Church, we need to pray. We need to pray. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. If you're here without the Holy Ghost, there's not a better moment than right now. There's not a better day than right now. You got a chance right now. You may not have a chance 30 minutes from now. You may not have a chance tomorrow. We really must do is make sure that we connect to what God is doing. Not just in some big, big, large picture of what God's doing right now. Right, God's doing right here, right now.
let the Spirit and the Lord touch us together. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand. I feel maybe the Lord has just done what He wants to do here today. I would ask you, if you will, to pray for my wife. And uh, I know you do that often. She has had something kind of uh, a little bit unusual happen. Maybe around Thursday evening, Thursday night, she's been dealing with that and just could really use some relief. And uh, we know a God that can touch her. We, we don't like to uh, put this out in front a whole lot, but we just need the Lord to touch her today and strengthen her. She desires to be in church every time. And uh, so we just ask you to pray for her. And I'm, I know that you do that already, but specifically that the Lord would touch her today and just give us the grace that we need and uh, healing. That's what we need the Lord to do. He's a great God. And uh, I feel like that that we have to leave here with uh, a weight upon our heart. I would ask you today to realize this, that if you walk out of this place and you're not where you need to be with God, even if you have the Holy Ghost, but you know you're not where you need to be with God. I don't say this to guilt trip you at all. I don't believe in that. But I want to tell you something. You're going to have to step over 66 books of promises just to get out of this house today. You'll have to do that. But He's a God that can meet you anywhere. It doesn't have to happen right here, right now. And God can touch us in our home. And I'm telling you, He can touch us wherever we are. I want to be sensitive to that. I want to stay open to that. And let God's Spirit touch us and strengthen us now. Amen. And I want us to pray to that end, that God would just touch this Word, what we have felt, what we've experienced today, not just the message, I mean, but what the whole service, that God would just let this resonate in our spirit. Can we do that? Lord, I love you. And I thank you so much. And I ask you now, Lord, to just let the authority of the Spirit, God, let it go home with us. I pray for every outreach ministry today, God, that you'll go with our teams. Help them to not just walk begrudgingly into any area of ministry, but let them walk, God, with confidence. Let them, let them walk with assurance. And I pray your anointing will be upon them today and good results will be the end of that. Amen. Amen. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.